In an interview shortly before his death, uh, Dallas Willard, who is a, a philosophy professor, uh, wrote wildly, he, he wrote widely on spiritual formation in the church. He was asked about the challenges facing the church, and uh, you know, Dr. Willard spent a lot of his time addressing the problem of why the church isn't raising up more people to act like Jesus. And at the end of the two-hour interview, Willard was, was asked this pointed question, when you look at how off track the church is, do you ever just throw up your hands in despair? And Willard smiled and said, never. But how can you not? The interviewer asked. He said, because I know Christ is the head of his church and he knows what he's doing. God's in control. And we, we see this in, in the book of Ezra. You know, God, we, we just, we just sang about God being, being our redeemer. You know, He's a God of redemption. He can, He can take something that we've really messed up. He can take us as messed up as we are and, and make something beautiful. He knows what He's doing. And, um, Remember what Jesus told Peter he, concerning the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're continuing our study of Ezra. We're in uh, chapter 6 today. And up, up to this point in Jewish history, the, the people of God had um, really experienced some tremendous ups and downs. You know, when you, when you read through the Old Testament, sometimes you think there's, there's a lot more downs than, than ups. But, you know, God's good for his word. God's word is, is good, and uh, his, his covenants with his people are solid. You know, God, God did what he said he would do. God does what he says he will do. He's, he's a God of promise, and he keeps his promises. He's, he's still a God who keeps his covenants. And so despite our ups and downs, our individual ups and downs, our ups and downs in, in the church, uh, he has a plan and, and he'll fulfill it. He'll do this. He's, he's, you know, he's going to remain faithful even, even when his people are, are not faithful. Uh, he's, he's always had a, a remnant of people who are true to him. And uh, his his purposes will always triumph. So Ezra 6, and so far, you know, by God's miraculous intervention, uh, the first wave of people has returned out of uh, captivity in Babylon to their, their homeland. You know, they re- returned to this uh, city of Jerusalem, which, which lay in ruins. The uh, The temple had been destroyed. Really a pretty sad sight. But they just got in and started the work, guided by the Lord. They're, they're, you know, it says their, their hearts were stirred by the Lord to, to do this work. So they built the, alt- the altar. They restored worship. They restored sacrifice. They, they laid the foundation of the temple. And then they hit a snag. Opposition. And the work stopped. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. God is the God with a plan. And so, remember, last time he 
we saw two prophets that he had raised up, Haggai and Zechariah. They came with a message and, and the people listened. And now that we come to chapter 6, this is really, you know, seems to me kind of the climax of, of the book. Turn with me to your Bibles, in your Bibles, to Ezra chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found in which it was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Remember this? Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, its breadth, its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And let also the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and you shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province, beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province, beyond the river, keep away. Let this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild the house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep for burnt offerings, to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require. Let them be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And I also make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that's in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozni and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet, or Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of God of Israel and, the, and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. 
They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for a service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles and their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we um, we see the, the, the triumph of uh, your, your work, Lord, despite the... Uh, the failings, the, the, the stumbling of, of your people, Lord. You, you have a plan and, and you are sovereign. Lord, we acknowledge you as uh, the God we want to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, God's, God's work will be accomplished according to his will. You know, at the temple... After the temple rebuilding was uh, delayed by about 18 years, uh, God acted to accomplish his will. You know, here's a new king, uh, King Darius, and, and God is using him to restart the work. Just as God stirred the heart of Cyrus, you know, he stirred the, the heart of Darius. He, he moved this king to, uh, to accomplish his will. And the king decreed that the records be searched. And when Cyrus's original decree was found, Darius said, no one's going to stand in the way of this work. Uh, he, he said that in some pretty strong terms. He'll leave them alone. Or we'll take the beam out of your house and impale you on it. Uh, and moreover, this, this, work, this work on the house of God is, is going to be paid out of the, uh, the royal treasury. Uh, wow. We see God's sovereignty here, don't we? You know, his, his work is going to be done. No one's going to stand in the way. Uh, God has not abandoned his people. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of what, what Paul says in Romans 8.31. He said, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? That's truly the case with what we see here. You know, he he took care of the uh, the opposition. He took care of these people who earlier had, had said these were the adversaries. He said, "Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Keep away. Let the let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God." You know, there may there may be times when God allows us to be uh, tested by opposition. 
by by enemies, but ultimately he he will protect us and he'll take care of the enemy for us. We we know that uh, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? It was it was God's will that this temple would be restored. Uh, his word through the prophets uh, Haggai and, and Zechariah just broke through the the discouragement of, of these people. You know, broke it broke through their uh, unwillingness and and their inactivity. Proverbs 19.21 said, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Do you know know what deism is? Most of you probably do. You know, deism is a, uh, it's it's an old philosophy that said, well, there's a God, we we believe God exists, but, uh, you know, he he created things kind of like a clockmaker, wound up the clock and let it go. You know, that deism says that God, God's not involved in, in human affairs. He just set, set everything up and let it run. We're not deists. This, this was the philosophy that was really popular in the 17th, 18th centuries, uh, really around the time our, our country was, was being founded. It was a very popular philosophy. Um, but God, God does involve himself in human affairs in, in supernatural ways. Uh, and he'll fight for us. Uh, I think I think most of us are familiar with uh, what Zechariah said in uh, Zechariah four six. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel: Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know, God God is absolutely involved. You know, Zechariah was talking to. These particular people, these people who were rebuilding the temple, you know, it was Haggai and, and Zechariah. And he, that verse is in this context of, of rebuilding the temple. Uh, if we look at the context, verse, verse 8 uh, says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. You know, so it's, it's by the power of God not the power of man. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul applies this principle to the, to the church in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. Paul says, Who then is Apollos? Who is Paul? Servants through, you, through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building, he says. You know, God causes growth. God is the one who is responsible for this. And Jesus, again, says, I will build my church. So God will do the building. And uh, not only that, he'll, he'll supply abundantly. We, we see that here. Uh, he'll, he'll bless the obedience of his people. Yeah, I, I find it just utterly amazing how he uh, stirred the heart of, of Darius here. You know, can you believe you know, how God provided in Darius' commitment and, and his generosity 
let's look at what he decreed. He said, concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt and the place where the sacrifices were offered, let its foundations be retained. You know, the, the enemies wanted to destroy it. Darius said, don't you dare. You know, the foundation has been laid. It's going to be built on. The work is going to continue. Uh, second, he says, I'll pay for it. The, the money is going to come out of the uh, royal treasury. You know, what's, what's needed for the building? What, what is needed for sacrifice on a daily basis? Darius says, I'm going to pay for that out of the royal treasury. You know, bulls, rams, sheep, wine, oil. Uh, why did the king do this? Uh, verse 22. Verse 22. God had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Third, to the enemies, he said, I make a decree, if anyone alters this edict, a beam will be pulled out of his house. He shall be impaled on it. His house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. Yeah, verse 14 is amazing. It says, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished the building by the decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So through God's word, through his will, this happened. You know, the elders prospered. Uh, but you know, all the people prospered through God's plan. You know, God brought success to this, this building process. Uh, used these prophets to stir the hearts of the, of the people, to, to move the people so that their priorities would be uh, set straight. You know, he, he used them to, uh, to bring conviction that was needed to, to call them to obedience. You know, they had strayed. I, that, that one part of that song we just sang, you know, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. You know, here, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. For, for the throne above, did I say that right? Um, yeah, we're we're prone to mess it up, and God is prone to to redeem it. So, I lo- I love what Paul says about God in Ephesians three twenty. He says, "Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly." Then all we can ask or think according to the purpose, or excuse me, according to the power at work within us, you know, far more abundantly. He can do so much more than we can even imagine. So God's, God supplied through the, uh, the king. He also supplied through his, his own people. You know, he, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. This is the part I love right here. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love that. All, 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 every. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You know, we, we need to be reminded of why God is working to, uh, to rebuild there and here. You know, why, he, why does he so abundantly supply our, our needs it's so that we will return to the heart of worship. So that we will have hearts of worship. Remember how when the people returned, return, they built the altar. They put it in place. They restored worship. Now look in verse 16. Here's, here's a great picture. Verse 16. All the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites... And the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Why did they celebrate? They weren't celebrating their success. They weren't celebrating their hard work. They weren't celebrating how good they were. You know, it wasn't a uh, celebration, a ceremony of self-congratulations. Look what we did. You know, they, they, they celebrated this house of God. They did it with joy. They did it with praise, with, with worship. You know, this, this wording, by the way, is, is significant. The house of God. You know, if we look at Isaiah, Isaiah 56, 7. Talking of the temple, God says, My house should be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples, you know, Jews, the Gentiles, the Canaanites, everybody, Africans, uh, Europe, white Europeans. His house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, all races, all ethnicities, all of us. Praise God. This has always been God's plan. He promised Abraham that through his seed, the whole world will, will be blessed. Yeah, so there's a, there's a missional aspect to this. There's, there's an evangelical aspect to this. You know, worshiping God involves proclaiming God. Read the Psalms. Look what God has done. When you read through the Psalms, you see that over and over again. I will, I will declare the things that God has done. I will, I will praise him in, in the company of the people. So, you know, the context of this verse in Isaiah speaks about the, the foreigner coming to the, the temple of God. Let me read this. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, 
and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. He's talking about Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is, where the, where the temple is. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Worship is for all people. How do we worship? We, we worship in prayer, in praise, in singing. We call this a, a worship service. We worship in the word. We worship in fellowship. And I would contend that our, our lives need to be lived in worship. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever, do all for the glory of God. You know, every, everything we do should be an act of worship. You know, we're going we're gonna to have a potluck soon. You know, we can eat a good meal for the glory of God. That could be an act of worship. Well, the next thing they did was they restored the, uh, the Passover celebration. Remember that, uh, you know, at the very first in the introduction, we talked about King Josiah and this great revival that Josiah had uh, facilitated, I guess. What did they do? That was one of the things he did is he restored the, the observance of, of the Passover. You know, after, after the Day of Atonement, the Passover is uh, probably the most significant holy day on the, uh, the Hebrew calendar. You know, it's a, it's a time to remember what God did in delivering his people from slavery in, in Egypt. Uh, you know, we could see it as a return of the gospel what they were doing by celebrating the Passover. You know, celebrating the Passover is a proclamation of the gospel of, of deliverance. You know, it's a, it's a time to remember what God has done, you know, to celebrate what he is doing now. Uh, God commanded in, in Deuteronomy 16th, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God has brought you out of Egypt by night. <coughs> And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd and at the place the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. Why is the Passover so important? Let's look at Exodus 12, 12, Exodus 12, 21 through 27, where this was was instituted, this this observance. Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you will go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees blood on the lintel, and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to, dis- to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of 
the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptian but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and, and worshipped. You know, surely these people now in, in the time of the writing of the book of Ezra, when these events happened, surely they made the connection between God's deliverance from exile in Egypt to God's deliverance from the exile of his people in, uh, in Babylon. Surely this was a very dear thing to them. You know, they, when the Jews celebrated the Passover, they were, they were remembering God's mighty hand on, on them. You know, they, they were acknowledging they were here back in Jerusalem at this temple to worship God, not because they're a wonderful people, not because they're better than anybody else, but because God brought them here despite their failings to this, this city of God, Jerusalem. And as, as Christians, we can make this connection also. You know, it's during the uh, Passover celebration that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and reminded us that really the Passover was a, a picture of his own sacrifice for our sins. And he said, when, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's the gospel of deliverance. Jesus delivering us from, from our sins. So just as the Jews remembered their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, we remember the deliverance from the bondage of sin. Because Jesus Christ, the, the perfect sacrifice, he took our sins upon himself because of what he did for us. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. In Luke twenty-two nineteen through 20, Jesus said, or it says, uh, when he took the bread, when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the cup, likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. You know, what was the, what was the purpose of rebuilding the temple? It was built, rebuilt to restore worship, proper worship. It was, it was to restore the people not only in their relationship with God, but to their mission of being a blessing to the world, you know, that, that one day all people would come to God. Let's wrap this up. You know, God did honor the obedience of, of his people who, who listened to the prophets, who delivered his word to them. And they stepped out in faith and began the work again, and they rebuilt the temple you know, even even though for a time the work had stopped and people had, had lost faith, really, God would accomplish his purpose, and he did. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. But let's be faithful to him.
right here, right now. You know, it's it's his will to continue building this church in Chihuahua. It's his will to continue rebuilding this this church in Chihuahua. You know, he will supply our needs. Uh, let's let's allow him to make this how this church a house of of prayer for all people. Uh, let's let's make this a place of of true worship. Let's be a people of true worship. Pray with me. Pray with me here. Um, Lord, I I pray that you would uh, give us hearts of worship. Uh, Lord, take us, use us as holy vessels for for your purposes, Lord. Use us as as a church to accomplish your mission, Lord. We we want your name to be known, Lord. Uh, Let your word go out from us. Uh, the, the good news of, of Jesus. Let it go out, Lord, and, and be heard in, in our community. Uh, Lord, you are, you are faithful. You are unchanging. You know, your, your love never runs out. It, it never gives up on us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in your church. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen, we are. And each of us is a living stone, it says. Paul in Ephesians talks about that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We are being fitted together into a habitation for him, a place of worship. Amen.